The Yesterday and Today podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun compilation of chronological source materials as they pertain to the Beatles. The show is in no way affiliated with Apple Corps, nor any organization connected to John, Paul, George, or Ringo in any way, though we do consider ourselves premier members of the Bungalow Bill fan club. So kick back, turn off your mind, relax, and download the stream. We hope you will enjoy the show. Yesterday and Today, 1975. Part 9, A Little Bit More of You. In this episode, we will cover September 23rd through October 29th. Hi there, nice to be with you. Happy you could stick around. Like to introduce Legs Larry Smith, drums. And Sam Spoon's rhythm pole. And Vern Dudley Bohay Noel, bass guitar. And Neil Innes, piano. Come in, Rodney Slater on the saxophone. With Roger Ruskin Spear on tenor sax. Hi, Vivian Stanchel, trumpet. Big hello to Big John Wayne, xylophone. And Robert Morley, guitar. Billy Butlin, spoons. And looking very relaxed, Adolf Hitler on vibes. Nice. Princess Anne on sousaphone. Introducing Liberace clarinet. With Ghana Ted Armstrong on vocals. Lord Snooty and his pals tap dancing. In the groove with Harold Wilson violin. Franklin McCormack on harmonica. Over there, Eric Clapton, ukulele. Hi, Eric. On my left, Sir Kenneth Park, bass sax. Great honor, sir. Especially flown in for us, a Sessions Gorilla on Vox Humana. Nice to see Incredible Shrinking Man on Euphonium. Drop out with Peter Scott on Duck Call. Hearing from you later, Casanova, on horn. Yeah, digging General Decaul on accordion. Really wild, General. Thank you, sir. Roy Rogers on trigger. Tune in Wild Man of Borneo on bongos. Count Basie Orchestra on triangle. Thank you. Great to hear the Rawlinsons on trombone. Back from his recent operation, Dan Drop, hot. And representing the flower people, Quasimodo on bells. Wonderful to hear Brainiac on banjo. We welcome Baldunicum as himself. Very appealing, Max Jaffer. Mmm, that's nice, Max. What a team, Zebra Kid and Horace Bachelor on percussion. 
and a great favorite and a wonderful performer are all of us here, J. Arthur Rank on Gong. Who are the uh, musicians you've worked with on this album? Uh, there's quite uh, a lot. The basic musicians, uh, that is the ones who played on most tracks, is Jim Keltner again, the drummer. Klaus Vormann played bass on a few tracks and this other guy called Paul Stolworth played bass on some of the other tracks. I played bass synthesizer on a few. Then a piano player who's quite new around Los Angeles. He's actually from Vancouver, a guy called David Foster, a very young guy. He did the string arrangements also. He is in another band with um, Jim Kelton and this bass player, Paul, called Attitudes. And Leon played piano on, uh, well, there's one old track that Leon played piano and a new track that he played, Leon Russell. The tracks that have horns, only about two tracks with horns, that's Tommy Scott and Chuck Finley. They played two parts each. And um, who else? Oh, Gary Wright. He plays organ and various keyboard things. And that's about it. So it opens up with literally a bit more of you. get into what is one of the songs I like a lot called Can't Stop Thinking About You. Yeah, that one I wrote at Christmas time two years ago also and uh, I was just sitting around the log fire. That song could be, uh, I always hear somebody like Joe Cocker singing that one. It's a very commercial sort of song. Do you welcome... It's also a bit like um, the middle part kills me. It's like, I don't know what it is, I have this tendency to write sort of dramatic or melodramatic melodies. And that one, it's like um, there's a song on Material World also, which always makes me think it should be sung by somebody like either Al Jolson or Mario Lanza. <laughs> it's a funny, interesting melody. The vocal on this one almost uh, reminded me at first of some of Bob Dylan's things. In, in that track? The beginning. The beginning. Oh, that's my impersonation of John Lennon. <laughs> yeah, it was hard to sing that first chorus, I tell you. Can't stop thinking about you. Can't stop thinking about you. It's no good living without you.
Pirate of Midnight Blue comes at a, a funny time almost because there's just been a hit by Melissa Manchester. Yeah. Well, this was actually, I wrote the song. Uh, sometimes I just think of titles and write them down with a paper and then sometimes get round to writing a song about it. I always thought of Midnight Blue as a good title. So I wrote the song and about three weeks after I recorded it, M Melissa Manchester came out, so this is now called Tired of Midnight Blue. This is a story of, you know, those nights you go out and wish you hadn't. It's one of those. <laughs>
I notice uh, in this part of the album, uh, particularly, and on the U Baby as well, there's a mellow feel. Yeah, and also there's a lot of spaces, you know. It doesn't have a lot of things going on. In fact, I deliberately just left spaces. So most people can imagine their own sax parts or guitar parts. This is a change, for example, from, say, Ding Dong, as well as from your yeah. Spectre days, because you had a lot of noise going on. Yeah, yeah. Well, sometimes people don't like a lot of things going on. It just depends. If you do something simple, they want to hear the big sound. If you do a big sound, they want to hear it simple. I mean, I suppose, ideally, sometimes I just get round to doing an album without any backing, you know, just with acoustic guitars or something. We get to a song now called Great Cloudy Lies. Mm, that's one of those depressing four o'clock in the morning sort of songs. It's really, um, sometimes, I don't know where these songs come from half the time. That one was a piano song. Sometimes I write on the piano. I can't play the piano, you see, so I'll play certain chords and things on the piano which I probably wouldn't bother with on the guitar because I know them too well and they always sound different on the piano. But this one was written on the piano, and it's just something, it's mainly a sort of the rhythmic thing about it that got me. You know, it tends to miss beats every so often. And, uh, yeah, I think it was just one of those songs after talking for a lot, you know. Sometimes it's nice to be quiet. That's a song about, you know, I don't know if you caught the words. I thought to close my mouth, the padlock on the night, leave the battlefield behind me, stay out the fight, not lose my sight.
artist's name is Legs. Closes the album, which I really crazy. Understand the lyrics at no, first. Even if you see them written down, you still don't understand them. It's the craziest song, both lyrically and musically. And the story on this song, it's called "His Name Is Legs," ladies and gentlemen. And it's well, the English people may know more about legs than Americans. It's uh, actually Legs Larry Smith, who was the drummer with the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band, and he's. Uh, very nice person who's very eccentric. I'm very partial to eccentrics. Anyway, I met him a couple, I think it was also two years ago. A lot happened that Christmas. I had a, this piano by the fire and uh, I just met Larry, kept coming and going and he just amazed me, you know, all the things he was saying, so I decided to write a song about him. Larry Smith recalls the first time he heard the song. He rang me up one night and uh said, Larry, come over to dinner. And I was always going over to dinner, and uh, I came in and sat down in Friar Park. It was just dark, and it smelled a little bit like this with all the incense. And the Wurlitzer jukebox was in the corner, and George came in and sort of nodded, and, and I thought, something's up here, what's happening? So he sat me down in my favorite armchair, and uh, he, he got to the piano, and uh, out came his name, his legs. And halfway through the song, I thought, Jesus Christ, it's a song about me, and I was... I was blown away. It was just amazing. So the lyrics are just crazy, you know, just like Larry, actually. Everything is dinky-doo, everything that you do. You the king of la-di-da, pretty very out far. Never oversits, he understands, like the back of the hand. Should sing in a band. And he sings the first part of each bridge. Coolies sweating in Hong Kong, run along to the Mardi Gras. Risking Asian flu to meet the man who lays the eggs, his name is Langs. Did you deliberately mix this track so that it's hard to understand? On that one, it's, uh, well, Larry, you see, when I got him to sing the bridge, I've never seen him since then, incidentally, you see, so I just told him, look, I've got this song, and it was only the basic track at that time, of this song, and I want him to sing the, these lines in each bridge. So I gave him the words, and he just went out and sort of did two takes of it, and then in the solo, and at the end, he just talks and just says all these sort of silly jokes. And listening to this dialogue that he says, listening to it really loud and over and over, it just gets a bit boring. I mean, only, you know, for everybody. I think once you've heard the jokes a few times, then there's not much fun. So I decided to mix, put them both in at the same time and just mix them down so people have to strain with headphones to hear what it is. <laughs> Everything 
The album, Extra Texture, read all about it. This new collection of songs by George has a certain pop feel and sells well, but the critics downplay his composing and complain about his whiny voice. All I want is to be able to sing the tunes I have and to do them as warm and as simple as possible. The easiest way that I could um, see my own um, career going musically is that in the 60s and early 70s, maybe I was more top 40. Now I'm probably more FM. Reaction to George Harrison's new Extra Texture album out in October 1975 was slow in coming. The inside picture of George was labeled, oh, not him again. And that's what the critics said as they mostly dismissed the album. While the world public was listening to George's new LP, We've already Wings was finishing up the first leg of their world tour.
Having finished the first leg of the Wings tour at Carrick Hall in Dundee, Scotland, the band took a few weeks off to get ready for their Australian leg. Meanwhile, back in New York, regarding Lennon's battle to stay in the United States, Acting Immigration and Naturalization Service Commissioner for Northeastern States, Oswald Kramer, granted an administrative stay of John's deportation order, placing it on a non-priority status today for humanitarian reasons as a result of Yoko's pregnancy. John's attorney, Leon Wilds, was not impressed with the shot of good news. Mr. Wilds felt that the way it's being peddled by the government, it looks better than it really is. John still would not be able to travel outside the country, and with that I feel that the INS thinks the Court of Appeals in New York is about to rule against him. John publicly issued an optimistic statement. Yoko's pregnant with baby. I'm pregnant with hope. In the UK, Island Records released the album Hard Times by singer-songwriter Peter Skellern. The LP features the track Make Love Not War, written by John Burroughs, John Harding, and Peter Skellern. George Harrison plays lead guitar on the track. Make love, not war, of this, I'm sure.
On September 25th, Ringo and Nancy Andrews fly to Johannesburg, South Africa to take part in a celebrity tennis tournament, along with Peter Lawford, Mickey Dolenz, and Davy Jones. They stay at the D. Landrost Hotel. The event takes place that Saturday the 27th, with Ringo being photographed on the court, racket in hand, by the local press. Game is played. First set to Miss Wade, six games to four. Ringo and Nancy fly back in early October to Los Angeles. On October 6th in America, Dark Horse Records released the album Harder to Live by Splinter. The title track was co-produced by George Harrison and Tom Scott.
on October 7th in America, a three-judge panel in the United States Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit made their decision on John's September 4th request to have his deportation order overturned. The judge's vote decision was as follows. Judge William Mulligan denied the request. Chief Judge Irving Kaufman approved the request, and Circuit Judge Murray Gerfine approved the request. With a two-to-one vote, the INS deportation order was overturned. And with that decision, the ruling cleared the way for Lenin's long-standing application for permanent residency. When asked by the media about Lenin's chances of John getting his green card, John's attorney, Leon Wilds, gleefully said, We'll get it now. It's a foregone conclusion. John, who was not in court today, released the following statement. It's a great birthday gift from America to me, Yoko, and the baby. John's three-and-a-half-year fight to stay in the United States had finally ended. Although the news was certainly good, John was cautiously optimistic. Two out of three judges came down on my side, and now it's, it's almost as if we're right back into 1971, and I reapply at the local level for whatever status it is, you know, I've forgotten the words for it, but the green, I call it the green card sort of covers everything. And we go back to the original judge and the original people on the local New York level, local New York immigration and ask for whatever we ask for and what the decision came down was that they have been advised virtually by these judges that in the big court wherever that was to give it to me but I haven't got it in my hands yet ladies and gentlemen and when I have it in my hands then I know I've got it I've said it many many times my name was through whatever fate as, as Dylan says, a simple twist of fate got my name on the list of lists, you know. And so my name went in some kind of computer, whether it's human or otherwise, and ever since this machine has been sort of continually trying to bonk me on the head, but it keeps missing because it is a machine, you know, even though it's manifest as human beings. It's just some, my name got on some list and that's it. It's like, it's like when they send that garbage through the mail all the time, you know. And they keep sending the garbage, and I, I'm, I'm finally trying to get through to the source and say, I don't want to buy this. Do you mind stopping? The next day, on October 8th, while John was getting good news surrounding his fight to stay in the U.S., Yoko was taken to New York Hospital. She recalls that day. Around 
10 or 11 o'clock at night on October 8th. It's sort of Sonny started to uh, be a bit different. Uh, he started to really move, you know. The contraction started. And I was thinking, oh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet, you know. It's frightening. Mm. It is rather, you know. I was it is rather. To her, it's too late. <laughs> it's too late. You know, we're going upstairs, you know, October the 8th. I'm thinking, oh, Lord, she's going to come on, on, on my birthday. Or, right, right. You know. And I called my doctor, and, and he said, well, and he called me back um, at 10 o'clock at night when we were just relaxing, starting to relax, you know in bed and he said well i'm afraid you have to come to the hospital now <laughs> because the result of the test was blah 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 so i said oh well um couldn't we go this. tomorrow morning we asked right him. and and then i suddenly started to cry because i was so nervous i said, i don't know if i'm gonna, i'm gonna go to the hospital i mean that's the only thing about hospitals uh, sort of these days you know people are not really too sure what hospitals are like, you know. Well, I'm not, so I get very worried about it, too. But anyway, so Joan was consoling me, and we just went to the hospital, and then uh, they had a test, and uh, they found out that, uh, well, probably it has to be cesarean, that kind of thing. And they're wheeling us upstairs, and she's saying, I don't think I'm ready. I'm going, yes, you are. <laughs> yes, you On October 9th, Sean Ono Lennon is born on John's birthday. He came at 2 o'clock in the morning, right on October the 9th. For those of you who think we planned it on John's birthday, a lot of people sent us messages saying, oh, trust you two to do it like a bed event where the baby come, you know, we did a cesarean and picked the date. We didn't pick the date. The baby picked the date. Mm. And That's it was magic. Right, right. It was really magical. Uh, but we were so nervous, you just don't know how, you know, until he came. You know, remember? I oh, mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. after the The last minute, I'd be, not only La Boya, oh. but we'd been to La Mars, <laughs> which is a one that you, that's pretty famous, much more famous than La Boya, which is sort of natural childbirth thing. Even though in the back of my mind, I thought it would, would be cesarean in the end, just to know about it, you know, because I didn't know about it either. You have to, it is an operation rather than a, just a natural childbirth. And at the last minute, they don't let me in because it is cesarean, right? And I'm saying, God, but I don't want to, no, you can't go in. So I'm stuck on the other side of the wall, like in the movies. And then I hear this crying and I think, I'm, I'm still paralyzed, thinking maybe it's another one next door, you know, because it is a factory. They're producing them like babies, like rabbits, you know. But it was, and I was jumping around and swearing at the top of my voice. <laughs> I was, and they're all looking at me, and I'm swearing and kicking the wall with joy, you know. Dot, dot, great, you know, he was saying. Great! <laughs> I'm shouting, and all the doctors are looking, nurses are looking at me, you know, as they go about their normal business. When did you come out of the anesthesia, and when was the first moment that you were conscious? Uh, oh. That no, no, what, what is that? Uh, as soon as the baby, you see, that they only, they only uh, put out the bottom half of her with a, some new drug, you know. You were conscious? So she was conscious, and then even for a cesarean, and then they took the baby out, gave her 
showed it to Yoko, you know, and Yoko just goes, is that the baby? Good. Take him to John. <laughs> I really remember how the baby looked, you know, so, but uh, that's all I remember. And, and he looked uh, just like his mother, you know. <laughs> that's exactly what he said the first time I said it. Well, the first time John saw the baby, said, what did he say? I was telling all the, the whatever they are, you know, other people, the, the nurses and the orderlies, whatever they are, all in green suits, you know. I said, he looks just like his mother. It's amazing. And they're all going, no, no, they don't look like any. They all look the same. I'm saying, he looks like his mother, I'm telling you, <laughs> which he does. He's beautiful. Well, his eyes, that's all. He's got because... his mother's eyes. And he turned out to be a, a large baby at birth. I mean, what was the weight? Uh, we decided to have a large one. We went for a whopper, you know what I mean? <laughs> and you got one. I, I forgot his weight. Could you, do you recall? Uh, nine pounds. Because he was born in America, ten? nine pounds ten he was when he was born. That's very low. They said yes. he was a little overweight because because of Whatever. Uh, something to do with Yoko's condition. and uh, But we think it was better anyway, you know. He had a better chance of surviving if he was a bit heavier. fascinated by the S-E-A-N spelling and oh, being a little bit of a uh, Anglo-Irish descent, you know, and so I was always reading about Celts and things like that and it's an Irish name and it's Irish for John and I don't like, I don't like juniors, you know, it's, I know it's very popular in America but not in Europe not so anymore, much. It? It's still anymore. pretty popular to have somebody junior, you know, like a replica of yourself, which is... A, or the second. The second, yeah, or the third of the foot, which I think is ridiculous, because although one tends to think it's a little John because it's a male, it isn't. It's a combination of John and Yoko which produce something completely and entirely separate from us. It is not a little John Lennon or a little Yoko Ono. It's a Sean. It's itself, you know? He is himself. He's not, a, you know, apart from us giving birth. nice story it might round it off for us okay because all my family is english except for my father's side you know pure straight english right but on my father my father's father was irish you know and that's not too good in england as you might guess from the news but i've always been a bit interested the name lennon is irish so that's you know I, i'm entitled so i called my auntie who brought me up who's pure english I says, it's a boy, it's a boy. And she says, oh, it's great, it's great. And she's happy and screaming on the other end of the phone. And I said, well, I've got one thing to tell you. What, what is it? I said, uh, do you want to know what I called him? Oh, yes, yes, yes. I said, it's Sean. She goes, oh, my God, John, don't brand him. <laughs> and she kept saying that over and over. And I said, don't worry, he'll probably be brought up in America or internationally, and it doesn't, it's no harm, you know, but she couldn't believe it. 
John and Yoko bring their baby, Sean Ono Taro Lennon, home to their Dakota apartment in New York. The jubilant father says, I feel higher than the Empire State Building. Uh, this is John Lennon talking to you from the heart of the west side of New York in an interview, exclusive for interview, uh, with a brand new New Yorker, Sean Ono Lennon. Spelled S-E-A-N. Okay? Now, tell me, Sean, what's your first impression of New York? Uh. I see. As a citizen of the world, Sean, a human being, as it were, who has traveled and lived the world over, what distinguishes New York for you as a place to live and work apart from the world's other major cities? And where did you get that outfit from, may I ask? Knowing that interview is very fashion conscious, I just thought I'd mention it. I see uh, that you're having your diaper changed. Uh, uh, is this an enjoyable experience? Because I do believe some people pay to have this done. No comment, I see. Meanwhile, back in England, Cynthia Lennon recalls. Julian was eager to see his baby brother, but the planned summer visit never materialized, and it was another two years before he met Sean. He'll meet again, don't know where, don't know where, but will meet again some sunny In the meantime, I had a new man. My old college friend, Helen Anderson, now a dress designer, had introduced me to a TV engineer called John Twist. He was six years younger than me, and before long we had begun to see each other. One day he arrived at my bungalow in his car, with his dog on the back seat, and told me he'd lost his job and his home. I was unsure of what to do. Although I liked him, I wasn't ready to let him move in. Still... Never good at saying no. That was exactly what I did. It was not until much later that I learned he had been married when I met him. I was horrified. I would never have wanted him to do such a thing, but by the time I discovered the truth, we had been living together for some time. Still, a seed of mistrust had been planted, and although John was charming and always keen to please me, I never felt quite sure of him again. You want a full reference, huh? On October 20th, Dark Horse Records released the album Mind Your Own Business by Henry McCulloch, the ex-Wings lead guitarist.
Also on October 20th in America, and on October 24th in the UK, Shaved Fish, an LP of John and Yoko's greatest hits, is released on Apple. release, Shaved Fish, was a package of hit singles from his solo years, covering his political years with Give Peace a Chance from 1969, all the way to his various mind trips and mind games of the 1970s. A greatest hits album sounds impossible for Lennon, considering his constant frustration in choosing just the right single. When I'm making it, I'm only aware of the music, you know. And if I hear a lick that's sounds commercial i think oh that's that sounds like a single well that's commercial but i'm really down in the music and then you know some friends or people will say which is the single i said don't ask me don't ask me i'm right in the middle of it you know i have a vague idea which might be but i really say wait can i just finish it and then i'll tell you because i'm too close to it to see it
The sounds were ever-changing, and the audience had a tough time getting used to the new linen. That's how the world is. The underground is just as straight as the overground, and they don't like change. And that's all there is to it, you know. Now, and I know, I, I told people 20 years ago, whenever it was, I'm not going to be singing She Loves You When I'm 30. This kind of hit parade product actually pleased Lennon more than any other kind of album he produced. Because singles were his first love. What Lennon never could stand, though, is the thought of a concept album. I've never made a concept album, even the, the Mother Come Imagine albums. They weren't concept albums. I just went in with a bunch of songs, and some of them are singles, and the rest become an album. You know, I ne was ne never interested in, in uh, you know, making a, a musical out of it, out of an album. An album to me is a bunch of records that you can't have. I like singles myself, you know. I don't collect albums, I collect singles. I hate having to buy an album just to get one tune. And there's nobody's albums, including my own, uh, since I was 16, that if I can stand listening to a, a whole album of one person, it's a bore. compilation of his post-Beatle work completes his cycle with Apple Records. He looks forward to no more contracts and legal obligations. Ah! It's a fish. Ah! Just, just a fish head. Go away, go away. <laughs> he must have put that on special. On October 27th, 
Capitol Records in America released the single Venus and Mars Rock Show, backed with the song Magneto and Titanium Man by Wings. Venus and Mars Rock Show got the following single release with its fast-paced description of life on tour with all the backstage craziness of typical rock scene characters. The A-side was edited for the single and reached number 12 in the U.S. charts.
on October 27th in London, Wings board the Qantas Jumbo Jet airline, heading toward Perth, Australia to begin their second leg of the Wings Over the World tour. The press was waiting for them when they landed. One reporter even asked Paul about playing rock and roll at his age. You're what, 31 now? 33. 33, that's a bit old for rock and roll. Do you think you're past the Ancient. Ancient. Well, I'll tell you what, you come to the show. Do you think And you're after the show, I don't know. I wouldn't be here if I thought I was. But you come to see the show, and if you like the show, you tell me if I'm over my peak after it, okay? Any news right. of the... Um, and if you tell me I am, oh, it's coats off outside cover. <laughs> All right? Thank you very much. All right, okay. cheers. A few days later, on October 29th, Wings began rehearsing for the Australian leg of the tour in Perth.
up in a moment. Wings is flying high over Australia. Three encores were demanded, and even then, after well over two hours, the crowd wouldn't leave until Paul came back to tell them they just didn't have any more songs. Ringo releases his blast from the past. Blast from the past and George becomes a pirate in Rutland. Next on Yesterday and Today. For more information or to contact the show, visit yesterdayandtodaypodcast.wordpress.com or email at yesterdayandtodaypodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at yesterdaypod on Twitter and search Yesterday and Today Podcast on Facebook. See you next time. Paul Kaminsky. I'm James Kaminsky. And I'm Wayne Kaminsky. And we bring you the Kaminsky family of podcasts Yesterday and Today and the Third Men podcast. You might know me from one of those dumb voices I do, or my dad (laughs) from his better show than ours. (laughs) Wow. And we're here to tell you about some cool merchandise you can pick up for the show's As we mentioned in each episode, we do not in any way profit from these shows whatsoever, but to break even on some expenses, we have put up some cool merch that you can pick up to help support the show. Yes, some fun apparel, things you can put on yourself. Are we going to be selling Marks and Spence underwear? (laughs) Don't worry, we will. (laughs) 
You can head to our social media pages. That's facebook.com slash yesterday and today podcast or facebook.com slash third men. Or you could head to society six dot com slash Kaminsky family podcast. That's society, the number six dot com slash K-A-M-I-N-S-K-I family podcasts. Yeah, keep our lights on. I'm in the dark. Dad, any words of wisdom? Hello? The lights just went out. (laughs) Guys, we need your help. (laughs) Buy stuff. Perhaps a coffee mug that you can enjoy a beverage out of while listening to our shows. And if you haven't got yours, please send forth in and get a free one. All right. (laughs) Thank you, Dad. All right. We'll see you on the podcast, folks. Bye. It's audio. You can't see me.